Hello, welcome to the Intellectual Agrarian Podcast, where we learn and grow with philosophy from the farm. Our guest today is Lisa Steele from Fresh Eggs Daily. Together, we'll be talking about common misconceptions about backyard chickens, how farms can leverage social media for marketing their farms, her television program, writing, and much, much more. Be sure to enjoy today's episode with Lisa Steele. Lisa Steele, welcome to the show. Hi, Terrence. Thanks so much for having me. Getting started, would you mind sharing a brief biographical sketch with the audience? Sure. For those who don't know me, I am Lisa Steele, and I am the founder of Fresh Egg Daily, which is an online backyard chicken heating resource, I guess you would call it. I have a blog and social media, and I've written a couple books. My grandparents were chicken farmers in New England. So I grew up across the street from them. We had chickens as a kid. I was in 4-H, did that whole thing. And then I took a quick detour to college on Wall Street and found myself living back on a farm, long story short. (laughs) So I kind of feel like you can't escape your destiny sometimes. That's really true. So one of the first questions I actually had here for you was, what was it like going from, I mean, we're thinking Wall Street, we're thinking a fast city life to raising poultry. I obviously you had some familiarity with it in the past, but what was it that brought you back to that? I mean, I really enjoyed it. I was young. I was just out of college. I was living on Long Island, working in Manhattan, and it was exciting and and all that. But it, I mean, it really is a rat race. It's it's something that um, I think it ages people really quickly and mm-hmm. kind of just by chance. Uh, my husband was in the Navy, and his last tour of duty was in Virginia. And he had horses that we were boarding off property and we wanted to oh. buy something that we could actually have the horses in our backyard. You know, mm-hmm. that was the dream to look out the back window, see the horses. And we found a, a really great little farm in Virginia. And that was in 2009. And people uh, were just getting into, it was the recession. So a lot of people were mm-hmm. getting into the homesteading and raising goats. And I thought goats would be a lot of fun. And uh, my husband didn't think they would be quite as fun. So <laughs> We sort of counter-offered with chickens randomly. And, um, you know, I had them as a kid and I was not a huge fan. When you're a kid, it's just more chores. It's, uh-huh. you know, you want to be out playing instead of cleaning the chicken coop. Um, but I agreed because I figured that would just sort of, you know, open that door a little bit. And then we could move on to the, the goats and whatever else. Um, but we got the chickens and we got some ducks too. And just kind of never looked back. And um, you talked about organic chicken feed, but this whole thing just sort of grew organically. It wasn't like it was a plan to build any type of brand or or anything like that. So I'm curious, what does your farm look like now? You're now located in Maine. Uh, what do you raise? How many acres are you on? We have we have a lot of land. Everybody in Maine has a lot of land. <laughs> so most of it's wooded. Um, there's, I don't know, you know, a couple acres that's like a, a pasture area. We never did get the goats. Uh, just kind of as a footnote, but um, <laughs> so we have 17 chickens, 10 ducks, and two geese. And you know, that number kind of goes it up fluctuates. and down depending. Yeah, it fluctuates. I did, we had about 3,000 uh, in Virginia for six years ago when we were moving, and I did rehome some of them. You know, mm-hmm. we, we had some breeds that weren't terribly cold hardy, and that was going to be a big change oh, in climate. Yeah. So yeah, I'm just so curious, I, like, what's, what's a good, what breeds do you typically prefer at this point? 
Four year like Yeah, I've kind of always liked like the, the full bodied girls, you know. So the the, the bigger, chunkier chickens are going to be more cold hardy with the smaller combs, you know, the really fluffy ones. So mm-hmm. I have Australorps and oh. Lavender Orpington. Um, I have Americanas for the blue eggs because thank you, Martha Stewart. Everybody <laughs> decided they needed blue eggs in their basket. Um, I mean, realistically, probably any chicken would do okay, but mm-hmm. I just feel like I'd rather have those that are a little bit more hardy, less susceptible to frostbite and all that. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the things I think is amazing about poultry is you get so many different breeds, varieties. They It, it lends such a, a dynamic color to any operation, any farm or any homestead. It doesn't. I mean, it's funny because, you know, we'll watch movies and we watch a lot of Westerns and John Wayne movies and I'm always like, oh, chickens, you know, because there's, there's always chickens like in the background of all of these old movies and Westerns. And then, you know, I look at them and I'm like, I'm not really sure that breed would have been, you know, around then or out in the West then or whatever, you know, we were watching some movie and it was, I think it was a World War II movie in France. And I swear they rented this trio of geese because the soldiers were going town to town, but every town they got to, there was like this trio of geese, you know, walking through the streets. And I'm thinking that's the same geese that they're just bringing, you know, to each, each town as they're filming it. It was so funny. (laughs) That's one of the things that when you have a background in agriculture and you watch a movie, those are those little details that I love. So I'm actually a big John Wayne film fan. So I totally relate when I watch, I think it's McClintock is one of my favorites. And you get to see like his ranch and his farm in the background. Like, Oh, that's that breed. That's that breed. And yeah, it's just, it's such a, it's such a different way of looking at things. But I think that's part of what's fun about what we do is that we do have a different perspective that we get to see and sometimes share with people. So speaking of, Sharing that perspective, you have a very successful blog in Fresh Eggs Daily. What led to starting that? And then I think the bigger question for all the farmers that are listening right now is, what are some of the keys you found to building a successful blog? Because I know that's how a lot of farms start, but they don't know quite what to do with it. Yeah, it is really important. I So 2009, Facebook was sort of just getting going. And I started a Facebook page and I was posting all the pictures of my baby chicks and my chickens and, you know, on my personal page. And finally, my friends said, enough, like, we don't want to see your chickens anymore. <laughs> so <laughs> I opened a business page. I called it Fresh Eggs Daily. And I started posting the chicken pictures there. And people started asking me questions. And I realized since I had grown up with the chickens, I knew, and I had done a lot of research when we first got them because it had been a while. So I read a lot of books and I subscribed to all the magazines and I started answering people's questions. And then someone suggested to me, you know, a blog is sort of like an archive. So instead of everybody, you know, every time somebody asks you about an egg bound hen, you typing on Facebook, you could just write it up once and then share the link to the blog. I was like, brilliant, you know? So I figured I'd write maybe 20 posts, the most common questions and just use it sort of basically just for me to grab the links from. And so what is it now? I don't know, eight or nine years later, I have like 700 articles. And I mean, there's always something to talk about, but it is, it's super important. A blog is important, but also being on social media is important. Even if you are, you know, just a local business, you can geo tag now, mm-hmm. you know, like on Facebook, you can do a post and you can just tag people in your state or in your zip code or whatever. And it's just so important because I think before people buy anything now, they're just so conditioned to Google you. Yes. And if they Google your farm or your business and there's nothing there, 
they're not going to be as apt to buy. So I think that it's really important. It's important to be on the big ones, you know, the Facebook, the Instagram, Twitter, probably not so much. Um, But anytime a new platform opens or I hear about it, I always go and grab my name, even if I never do anything on that platform. Does that mean you have a TikTok account? I do. (laughs) I have everything. Um, Even the ill-fated parlor I ended up on because, you know, I mean, the last thing you want to happen is that that new platform becomes the next Facebook. Mm -hmm. You're not on it and somebody else has grabbed your name. That's a great point. I mean, I have, I have, I'm on MeWe and like anything I hear of, I just grab and Snapchat. I mean, I'm, I'm everywhere, but I'm not active on those, on those platforms. Um, but it is super important. It's also free. It, it's also really the only way that you can level the playing field. Mm-hmm. So by building your social media platform, and I've never, I've never advertised, I've never promoted, I've never boosted anything. Oh, wow. Like I've never spent a dime. Uh, the only thing I do is I do advertise on main public radio. I have an ad that runs there, um, but everything else has grown completely organically and you can level the playing field. And, you know, I have more followers than a lot of the brands I work with. Mm-hmm. And you couldn't, like, if you're just, you know, advertising in a magazine or on TV, you could never match their marketing dollars. Never as a small business, but this way you can get yourself in front of the very same people and you have an advantage because you have a face. So mm-hmm. people, you know, it's, it's someone that, you know, you're a farmer, you put yourself there picking your radishes, picking your garlic, whatever, you know, you're, you're collecting eggs. Well, if somebody sees you collecting eggs from your chickens and then they go to the store and they see your eggs at the store, they're going to buy them over say Eglin's best where they don't relate to that. They don't relate to a person because it's a brand. They, so they feel that personal connection to the story. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And the blog is great because like I said, you can, you know, especially as a business, you can sell things from it and, and do all that. But also another thing that I found really interesting was when my first book came out, my blog traffic more than doubled, like within a month or two. And I think it was because when you write a book, you have an Amazon author page. Oh. And on that author page, you can put a link to your blog. You can put videos, you can put, you can write things. I mean, you can put whatever you want, you can put links to your website they get really good uh, Google ranking, number one. But number two, you're also getting free advertising on Amazon. So if you're an egg farmer, and you don't have to, I mean, you can self-publish. If you're selling eggs, write a little, you know, whatever, 40-page book on whatever, put it on Amazon, and now you've got free advertising from Amazon, which I think I think it makes a huge difference to drawing people to your website and to your social media presence. Well, and it sounds like what I love about this is that it's expanding your digital footprint. I'm not certain. Have you ever read of Robert? I always pronounce his last name incorrectly, but he wrote the book uh, Influence. And it was basically his landmark study. I'd like to say it was Robert Caldini. But anyway, he went through like the five yeah. basic things that influence why people buy things in essence. And one of the main ones was authority. The more that you have digitally that people can look up and see your Facebook, your Instagram, your website. It instantly gives you a greater authority in the mind of the customer. I mean, truly, there are definitely some websites where I look up the farm, I'm like, oh dear goodness, this was made, this website was made in the 90s. 
ooh, mm-hmm. is this a place I really want to be buying from? Is this like, are they stuck yeah. in the dark ages here? They could be the most amazing farmer on earth, but all I know based on their website is that they don't know technology and inherently I'm apparently holding it against them as right. a bias. And they don't have links or like a link is broken. It doesn't mm-hmm. go somewhere. Another great thing to do for farmers, like you said, with the authority, I am going to read that book though. That sounds fascinating because <laughs> it does fascinate me why people buy. And even if you're not selling something, if you're selling information even, or, you know, page views or whatever it is, you're still getting people to come to you. Another great thing to do is to write articles for websites. Mm-hmm. So I've written for the Farmer's Almanac. I've written for, you know, Gardener Supply. And those also get really great Google rankings. So like when I Google my name, a lot of times the articles that I've written for other people come up higher than my own site. But again, if somebody sees I've written an article for, say, Burpee or, you know, Bonnie Plants, that gives you immediate authority as well. And that's something that farmers can do because obviously they have the expertise and there's tons of gardening sites that are looking for content. Oh, yeah. I mean, as you know, as a content creator, they're definitely... I think that there's a there was a great book written by like so it was Ryan Holiday wrote Confessions of a Media Manipulator. And in that book, he makes a fascinating remark on basically content creators are always looking for content. So realistically speaking, all you have to do is have a good enough message and story and approach the person that needs to tell that kind of story. And you're usually going to get airtime. That's just the way that it works because we're constantly trying to feed the the ever-present need to publish. And that is something which is great as an advantage for the local farmer or the local business in that if they can coherently tell their story or share an idea, it's really easier to share that with people than you'd suspect. Oh, absolutely. Local papers, you know, you're a local farmer, contact your local paper. Our paper has a homestead section. You know, you can get written up in the local paper. All your local papers are online that could get picked up by the AP or by Yahoo News or, you know, you just need to get as much out there as you can. And I mean, I've done a lot of stuff. I I get paid to write freelance articles. A lot of times I don't, but a lot of times the value in that is so much greater than anything that they would pay you anyway. So you can't always be driven by you know, am I going to make a quick buck today on this? You have to be open to all kinds of things. Well, and you don't know what the effect of the final thing is going to be because basically the way I look at it is it is a, is a step into randomness. You are stepping into, by doing that, you don't know necessarily what the result can be. It could be nothing, but the upside, the potential upside of having done it is far greater than the negative of having not Absolutely. done it. Right. So Yes, exactly. One of the questions I have here for you is that backyard chickens is like, they're the gateway drug to local food and agriculture for most people. What are some common misconceptions you've come across with people when they talk about or want to start raising chickens? I think the biggest one is that you need a rooster. You know, people think you need a rooster for the chickens to lay eggs, which you have that whole conversation. But I mean, a lot of areas do allow hens, but they don't allow roosters. And then people get all upset because they think, well, my chickens aren't going to lay eggs. So why would I bother? So that's probably the biggest one. And it's probably, I mean, I'd almost say it's the only one other than people not realizing how pet-like chickens can be and how friendly and how soft and how, they're just fun to have around in the backyard. I have to say, I one of the things I I had a, a follow up question to that one, but I want to insert here. 
I love that you also have ducks and geese because personally, mm-hmm. while I love chickens, I think that ducks are the most entertaining animal on the farm. They are. And I've been working so hard for ducks to have their day and, you know, just try to steer people towards ducks because there are so many more benefits to having ducks. You know, they're more hardy. They're better layers. The eggs are bigger. The eggs are better. I mean, just everything, you know, they're cold hardy, they're heat tolerant. And and people are just stuck on this thing. Like I want chickens in my backyard. And it doesn't really make sense because ducks are so much better. And the geese are, are so fun. I mean, they're, they're so smart and, like you can tell they 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 just watch, you know, everything you're doing, they're watching and you almost feel like, you know, you could give her the shovel and be like, all right, you plant the next seed, you know, <laughs> they'll just stand there and you can tell they're processing everything. So I'm curious, I know that duck eggs have a different nutritional profile and can be really good for baking. However, mm-hmm. I'm not as familiar with uh, the eggs from geese. Uh, do they have any special benefits or anything that you can use them for particular processes or baking with? They're more similar to the duck eggs. They're higher in fat, but they're obviously larger. So uh, roughly it's three chicken eggs equals two duck eggs equals one goose egg. Wow. Sort of the, um, so for baking, you know, you'd have to like whisk them up and then measure them out because you can't use them one for one. The duck eggs, I use one for one a lot of times. Mm -hmm. So you're getting, you know, a little more egg than you did, but the goose eggs you'd have to measure out. Um, But yeah, richer, higher in fat, but the geese only lay for, maybe a month or six weeks oh, in the spring. Really? Yeah. They have a very short, because unlike chickens and ducks who need at least 14 to 16 hours, you know, and then more than that, they'll keep laying geese. I believe it's 10 hours. And I think right in that 10 hour. So if they get too little, they don't lay. And if they get too much, they don't lay. So it's got to be right in that window. So they lay mostly just in the spring for about a month. And then sometimes they'll start laying in the fall again. But yeah, geese have been fascinating because they were brand new to us. We've had them for about two years. I'd never raised them before and I don't know too many people who do. So it's really been a learning experience trying to learn about them. And they're, they're more actually more like cows than oh, like really? ducks. They, they graze. Um, they mostly eat grass. If we didn't have snow on the ground for most of the year, I wouldn't even have to feed them. They can get everything they need from the grass and the weeds and that. But in the winter, I have to give them hay and, and wheat and everything. Uh, but they can eat hay. They don't get impacted crops. In fact, they don't have crops. So they eat and basically they just process their food, which is why they poop so much. They eat and poop and eat and poop. Unlike chickens and ducks, as you know, they eat, hold it, digest it expel it all basically overnight so the, the geese have been fascinating because yeah they, they are more like a like a horse or a, or a cow or something which is interesting i again so that's one of the interesting things about having these types of conversations because i don't come across geese geese in any major production for the most part in either my professional career or even on the podcast so i always enjoy getting to learn something new and different about it because we didn't raise them when i was a kid so geese learning so much more than I knew before. And I don't, I mean, we, we're, we're not homesteaders. We don't eat our animals. But if I were, I don't understand why homesteaders wouldn't raise geese because they grow so fast. You you literally don't have to feed them. We have them out on the grass almost right away. They need heat, you know, because they're babies. And they don't mm-hmm. have their feathers, but they're, they're a lot more um, cold tolerant. And I mean, they grow so fast that probably in eight or 10 weeks, you would have a goose that you could process who has basically just eaten grass. So your cost would be almost nothing. And I'm thinking, why do all these homesteaders raise chickens who, you know, it kind of takes them forever to grow up and you got to feed them and they get mites and they get egg bound and they get, you know, all these Mm -hmm. problems. Geese just would make so much more sense 
as far as if you're doing meat animals. They would. I am like thinking through just relatively size wise. Uh, the only thing I can imagine would be a little more difficult to get a processor just because I'm guessing most poultry processors don't process as much geese as Maybe they do chickens like at home in your garage do it yourself yeah <laughs> i that's a good point i always tend to think like in the slightly bigger than homestead commercial scale like because that was my experience as a kid is so you just kind of narrow it into that kind of window but yeah if you're doing it yourself it really doesn't matter what are some tips you'd recommend for people that are starting to raise i wrote down chickens here but i think that geese and ducks should definitely be in the equation, especially ducks. What should people be thinking about when they're starting out raising backyard poultry? Really, the first thing is just to find out if you could have them, how many you can have, if you need a permit. You know, sometimes the coop has to be a certain distance from the property line. And it, it varies. You know, there are some urban areas that are very lax in what they allow. And then there are some kind of rural areas where people figure hey, I don't have anyone within miles. I can do whatever I want. And there's rules. So you definitely have to check with your municipality. Um, but other than that, they just, they really need a safe place to sleep. The predator thing, I think is the hardest thing to raise in any kind of poultry. You know, just keeping them safe. People don't believe that, you know, your neighbor's dog or even your own dog would, would kill your chickens or, or ducks or whatever, you know. And then you've got fox and coyote and weasels and bobcats. And depending where you live, owls and eagles and i mean there's just so much that wants to eat them so it's kind of like an ongoing thing of keeping them safe you know trying to we let ours out and you know kind of like ah, i'm all nervous you know but they love being out on the grass and they love exploring and but you know keeping them safe especially at night i think is the biggest thing with you know all kinds of predator proof latches and welded wire and i have solar lights and i put uh, wolf pee all over because that's supposed to keep like wolves are the alpha mm -hmm. predator so I get this predator pee and, you know, put it all over the trees. So all, everyone else thinks there's wolves around. I, I, I go a little overboard, <laughs> but, but that's a really good thing. idea. And that works during the day, which is nice because a lot of the things you have your solar blinking lights or you have your locked coop, but that's for mostly night. So, mm -hmm. you know, during the day, the, the, um, the wolf pee should work. <laughs> So you've hosted Welcome to My Farm. This was so cool to learn about. Would you mind telling me about what, how this show came about and what it has been? Yeah, I as I started raising chickens and saw people get so excited about it. And, you know, honestly, chickens make great TV. You know, everyone just loves to oh, watch yeah. chickens running around in the grass, you know. And I started to think about there really were no shows about people raising chickens. And so <clears throat> I went to our local... CW and they happened to have a production crew and the station manager had chickens. So when I presented the idea to her, she was like, I love it. Let's produce the show. So we did it for two years for the CW. And then um, I ended up moving to NBC here in Maine with a different film crew. And we did it for another two years and um, it was fun. You know, they would come for like a week and would film you know, an episode or two and we do a little cooking, a little gardening. And now are all the old episodes are on uh, my YouTube channel, but we are in the process of sort of repackaging and putting them together a little bit differently and pitching them to American public television oh, for cool. create TV. Because again, you said like everyone's looking for content and mm -hmm. create TV is actually a really great channel 
we were having our deck redone. So we lost our satellite for a while. So all mm-hmm. we had was like the antenna. <laughs> so we could only watch, you know, the three channels and public television. And we watched a lot of Create TV and there's some really great shows on that channel. So hopefully within the next couple of weeks, I'll know about that. And they, But they have different different show lengths and different, you know, since it is public television, you can't have commercials in it. So we have mm-hmm. to sort of repackage them. But I'm excited about it because it, it was a good little show. And I think people who follow me on social media enjoyed sort of seeing a little bit more because you get so much more in a video mm-hmm. kind of format than you do just from pictures posted on social media. Well, and that's the thing that a picture may... A picture may be worth a thousand words, but you know it's worth more than a thousand words, two thousand words with like video production behind it. And I mean, I just watched a couple of episodes and it just it the production value was amazing. It was great content. I, I was just really excited about it. I think it was a great idea and it's great to see that the program's continuing. The question I always like to ask when yeah, someone we don't has know exactly the direction, but no, go ahead. I was going to say, we don't really know the direction of it, but we did, we were nominated for a uh, New England Emmy last season and we haven't heard yet for this season, but, you know, we've submitted again. So that's pretty exciting because, you know, a regional Emmy is still an Emmy. So. Oh yeah. I mean, dear goodness. If I, I don't podcast, I don't think there are really award shows yet, but I think that it would be one of those things where it's like, truly, I, it's just, it would be awesome to have that thing with your byline that's just undeniably it's always going to be cool always going to be cool right one of the questions that i like to ask people who are authors when they come on the podcast i do a little bit of writing myself and so i basically use this opportunity to mercilessly indulge my own interests you've written six books uh and you've currently got a seventh along the way and as much as i'd love to just bug you about what the seventh looks like I'm just curious, what does your writing process look like? Is there a set routine you follow? What does it go from idea to writing and publishing the book for you? Well, my first book was basically my blog and book form. I had been blogging for maybe three years and thought, you know, it would be really cool to write a book. And so I um, put together a proposal, which basically was my blog in a book form. And I sent it to, I think, five um five publishers who publish, you know, that type books, the homesteading mm-hmm. type books. And I got, I think two no's or three no's, one maybe, and then one yes. And so uh, I had, you know, I had a book deal and that book was in retrospect, really easy to write because I already had all the content pretty much. And I just repackaged it and I actually took all my own photos. And um, then I followed that up with my duck book, which basically is the same book, but all about ducks. And that was a blast to write because I didn't have as much duck content on my blog. So it was more writing it. Um, again, I took all my own photos. And then after that book, I switched publishers to a slightly larger publisher. I wanted to write a gardening book about how do you garden with chickens and integrate the two. And my first publisher turned it down. They, they just weren't interested. And it's interesting because it's like my second best-selling book. <laughs> but so I shopped it around and um, that one, I didn't have content written, but I had the concept mm-hmm. and that I worked really closely with my editor because he had done a lot of gardening books about what the chapters would look like. So basically it was laying it out into chapters and then figuring out <clears throat> what content would be in each chapter and then pretty much just writing it chronologically, you know, and then him coming back to me and saying, 
it's not a blog, you know, we need to write it like a book, you know, because a lot of times with a blog, you use dot, 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 or you use partial sentences, or you just, you know, run on whatever. Uh Um, I love working with an editor, though, because I have become better blog writers as a result of working with editors. So then I wrote two more books with him, plus the kids book, which was also a lot of fun. Um, I'm better at tight deadlines. So I tend to not really do a whole lot until the deadline is looming. And then all of a sudden just like head down and, you know, get to it. But, but writing books is a lot of fun and it's a lot of work. And as soon as I would finish one, I'd be like, I'm not writing another book. And then I'd be like, you know what? I have a new idea. (laughs) And they were so great. And I was so lucky because the timing that chicken books are selling so well, that basically whatever I came to them with, they were like, that sounds great. Let's write it. You know, in fact, they wanted me right when COVID hit, they wanted me to write another book, sort of like a basic chicken keeping book, figuring that everyone was getting into it. And, you know, I kind of already did that. And I didn't really have a lot else mm-hmm. to say about that. And I, I couldn't really get excited about it. So initially I agreed to it because I knew it would sell really well. But um, then I said, you know what, I really want to write a cookbook. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to write a cookbook for a while. And for that, I would need an agent because most of the large publishers don't take unsolicited manuscripts. So I hired an agent and kind of told him what I was thinking. He put together like this 45 page proposal, shopped it out and I got a couple offers and I ended up going with Harper Collins. So that's coming out next February. And I talk about a lot of work. I've been working on it already for about 14 months. Oh, wow. And we still have another year of we're doing photographs next month. We have to come up with a cover and a title, and then it would be like pre-promotion. But the cookbook was much different writing because it was mostly just recipe testing and coming up with the recipes I wanted to use and then trying them and writing them down. And really the only writing is just the little blurb mm-hmm. before the recipe. So it wasn't like that chronological story mm-hmm. writing. So it was very different. So I, but it's fun. I, I, I love writing books. So much the, fun. So the cookbook, uh, can you give us like a, a, a brief snippet of an idea? What's, is there, ha- does it have a thesis or theme to it? It's an egg cookbook. Go figure. <laughs> I'm shocked. So what you're telling me is I can get this cookbook so I properly know how to use duck eggs. Are there any recipes with goose eggs? There aren't. And I haven't, other than just scrambling them, I haven't really done anything with them. But yeah, duck eggs, I mean, as far as like making soufflés or popovers or things like that, you know, they just, they rise so much better. But even just fresh eggs, I mean, I'm sure you know yourself that the difference between cooking with fresh eggs and, you know, old grocery store eggs is oh, just huge. Just night and day difference. I, I, This is where, again, I'm sure you can sympathize and relate. There is such an extreme difference between having grown up getting farm fresh eggs to having to buy eggs somewhere it was it was such a shocker to my system when i moved away from like where my family was and i mean they just had chickens and i would just get you know mom's like we have too many eggs take these eggs perfect i don't need to go buy eggs and then i had to buy eggs from the grocery store i went and me being me i'm still buying like the premium eggs and still even then i'm like okay this is what I'm buying and eating versus this is what I used to get. It just night yeah, and day difference. Can, you, yeah, it is. I mean, I, there's a lot of things that you can't tell the difference if it's fresh or not, you know, but I, I kind of 
eggs are kind of the equivalent to like a tomato. If you grow Mm -hmm. a tomato in your backyard, in the garden, sun ripened tomato, that tomato is going to be so much better than what you buy in the grocery store. And I think eggs are the same way. You know, the egg manufacturers are kind of catching on. I know that they've heard, you know, people complaining and bragging about their eggs, you know, that they have from their own chickens. So now they're adding marigold to the the Mm -hmm. feed to try to make the yolks more orange. And like, they're doing all these things to try to, you know, they're selling brown eggs. And some of them are even selling like the blue eggs and all the different colors. But the one thing they can't do is they can't beat them in freshness. You know, there's no way that you can say that someone can lay an egg on or chicken can lay an egg on a farm somewhere. They can get that egg washed, which they have to do, you know, cleaned, Mm -hmm. cartoned, trucked onto the shelf and to your house in any kind of quick time turnaround no i and and again this is where i have the fortunate thing where i have a background in poultry in that type of scale where i know even like in the best version of it you are still looking at a pretty significant turnaround time there's Mm -hmm. nothing that beats having your own chickens or at least having getting it straight from your neighbor or this is where it's nice to have that local farmer's market right there farm Exactly. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, there are times as you know, you go down and you get an egg and it's still warm because the chicken mm-hmm. just laid it and you go inside and cook it. I mean, there's no way that a commercial operation can compete with that. You know, it's funny because in all these years, I've only had one post go viral, truly viral. And it was one that I wrote on how to read the code on the egg cartons, Oh, you know, the zero mm-hmm. to 360, because obviously they don't want you to know how old the eggs are. So they yeah. put it in code, right? So I, I took pictures and I went to my grocery store and I marked it down and I explained how to tell, you know, when those eggs were put in the carton and it was on Facebook and it got like 7 million views and like Delish and Cosmopolitan and Fran Drescher and Zoe Deschanel and like all these people shared it. It was on Dr. Oz. I mean, it just, it blew up. People were just, they were fascinated because nobody knew a little code on the carton is, you know? So at least if you know that you can pick the highest number. So you can you have a good chance at picking the freshest eggs from the grocery store. If you have to go there. Well, Lisa, thank you so much for joining us today. Where can people go to learn more about you and your work? Super easy. Fresh eggs daily. No matter where you find yourself in the digital world, just type fresh eggs daily. And I'm probably there. Including TikTok. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, thank you again so much for joining us on the show. Thanks so much. Big thanks to Lisa for coming on the show today. It was a delightful conversation about a topic dear to my heart. You can learn more about her and her work by checking out her website, fresheggsdaily.com, which is linked in the show notes along with all of her social media accounts. If you're new to the show, please subscribe. Whatever your favorite podcast player of choice is, we're on all of them. And while you are there, please be sure to leave us a rating and review, especially on Apple Podcasts and iTunes. It really helps us grow the show. Tips on how to do this can be found at intellectualagrarian.com forward slash review. Until next time, this has been Terrence Lehew and the Intellectual Agrarian Podcast reminding you to keep farming the dream.